Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he is still mourning the loss of our dear departed Audric Lunark Marshall to the Vampire Horde. It's Matt Morgan. So I've gotten really into records lately. I went to a store okay. and saw a record called Sounds Wasps Make. I was intrigued, so I took it home and it, I thought to myself, this sounds nothing like what wasps sound like, sound like. But it turns out um, I was on the B side. The B side. I love it. I was like, is he going to do something about buzzing? No. Nope. Records. A and B. I was like, I, I was able to keep up with Vinyl. for one one whole dad joke. And I'm, you know what? I am proud of myself. This is an I'm, accomplishment. I'm skipping Betamax. I'm skipping eight <laughs> tracks. I'm going way, way back. There we go. Up next, confession time. He's the one who turned Audric Lunark Marshall into a vampire. Shh, it's Dana Roach. Um, Olivia and Edgar aren't the only nuptials Innocent will be celebrating um, this year. Uh, Ishkana Graft Widow is marrying the new vile spawn spider. They they met on the web apparently. D- dang it, dang it. <laughs> okay, you know what? I I thought I could stomach dad jokes happening from one of y'all for the intros, but now that Dana's gotten into <laughs> dad joke game too, this is far too much. Listeners, um, I hope you revel in my pain. Anyway, this is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, at the risk of you somehow finding another dad joke somewhere in here, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? We're talking about lessons we learned from other games that we apply to Commander. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for this one. It's pretty unusual, definitely different than the type of stuff that we do. But we are, you know, gamers. We don't just play Magic the Gathering. It's certainly our favorite of the games, but there's a lot of other stuff out there that we like to play too. And there are things that we've learned from other games, board games and video games and stuff like that, that have helped us become better gamers in general, including in Commander. So we want to walk through what some of those lessons are and the ways that we've improved as Magic players. It should be really fun. Real quick before before we get to our topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone who handle the post-production work on our podcast. And of course, we would want to thank our sponsors for the show too, because they're also pretty darn cool. Yeah, the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and a TCG player, the bride and groom of online retailers. <laughs> uh, just memorize your vows, head over to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, and then choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you prefer to support the show directly while also getting some amazing perks, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron levels of all sorts, whether you want access to the Discord, you want access to the Challenge of Stats spreadsheets that we do, there's something for everyone. It's truly great. So head over to patreon.com slash edhretcast and just get some cool stuff for yourself. It's pretty great. Um, You know who did get something for themselves? Uh, this week, Jennifer Gravel, she got herself a shout out because she just supports us. And so we definitely want to say thank you so much, Jennifer. We appreciate all of your support. Hey, thank you so, so much. 
All right, let's get into our topic here. Kind of a weird one. Again, we're talking about lessons that we learned from playing other games, board games, video games, a whole bunch of stuff out there, and just different strategies that we learned in those games that helped us improve as Magic players as well. Um, when we first started putting notes together for this episode, there was only one Venn diagrammatical overlap that all of us shared, so I guess we'll start with that one. <laughs> Matt, would you like to do the honors and tell us about the first game that we've all learned lessons from? <laughs> oh, I suppose. So so if you have gone to patreon.com slash edhretcast and joined our patron discord <laughs> that we have, only $2 a month, such a great deal for that community. Um, we have a video games channel and we've talked about all these, but the one that like we were probably talk about the most is League of Legends. It's insanely popular. It, it's kind of formed an entire genre of video games, the, the MOBA category. Um, and all of us just, we play League of Legends fairly often or at least pay attention to it worlds just got done and it's man it's it's quite the game well so i will amend something real quick there y'all especially you know talk about it i don't play it basically at all anymore anymore, anymore. exactly i have played it though and that's the thing is that like this is a, a, a very pervasive game it's a very prolific game we've certainly all played it and so this is one that we will all have hopefully learned and improved from um i will immediately say out the gate one of the very first lessons that i learned in that game is to mute people um because you know <laughs> attitudes people online. There's certainly that to it. But let's get to different lessons than that. Um, <laughs> Dana, how about you start us off? Uh, what is the thing about League of Legends with those massive multiplayer MOBA, all of the people taking down towers, getting rid of nexuses, trying to work as a team? What is a lesson that you learned playing this game that you think has made you a bit better at Magic the Gathering? So so the, the lesson I learned here, and of course, some of this lingo is going to be nonsensical if you've never played the game. Um, (laughs) So apologies to listeners who have never played League of Legends. Um, But one of the things you need to do in that game to succeed is there's these small creatures called minions that you have to kill basically alongside trying to not get killed by the opposing person you're going against in lane. Um, The better you are at harvesting gold by killing those minions while also not dying, the the easier it is and the faster it is for you to buy gear that makes you stronger over the course of the match, the faster you can advance your character. Um, mm. And really, the, the better you get at that game, the more important that gets and the more those little tiny differences matter. Um, you know, when, when you first start playing, no one knows what they're doing. You're playing against, you know, equally unskilled players and everything's a mess. And it's largely those, those little resource edges are largely irrelevant. And that's very much true, I think, in Commander as well. When you first start playing with people who don't know what they're doing, when everyone's on equal footing playing, you know, pre-con decks or something, those little edges just aren't really a thing because it's just such a chaotic mess. Um, but as you get better as a player and as your decks get better, those little edges become more and more important. Um, and, and there's a definite parallel to League of Legends there. Um, when you get better at League, like last hitting minions to get gold becomes very, very important for that first 10 minutes of the game. It's very similar to, to EDH where, um, you know, cards that I love, some of my favorite things to do in, in Commander are those cards that just get me little tiny incremental card draw advantages, like a Knight's Whisper, for example. There it is. <laughs> And there it is. <laughs> that was one of the things when I first started playing Commander. Um, there's a lot of people that are new to the game that don't like those small draw kind of cards. They want to just cast Blue Sun Zenith for 14 or something. Very early on, I knew that like the Knight's Whisper kind of cards or the Ponder kind of cards will let you dig down to find that thing you need. 
I could tell how useful those were because I was aware of from League of Legends what those little tiny edges were, like how those just incremental advantages added up and how very much important they were. Matt, yeah. real quick, I just want to double check something with you. Did you also have um, Dana somehow ties this to Knight's Whisper on your EDH Redcast <laughs> bingo card? I, I did actually, yes. Uh, okay, it, cool, cool. That's the center square on my board. <laughs> <laughs> no, dad jokes are the center square. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's a freebie. All right, fine. Oh, man. Uh, sorry. I just, I, I had to comment on that. That was, I, I, I knew it was happening. I, but no, I like that lesson a lot. <laughs> that's true. I mean, and yeah, and Dana brings up a very good point. Like the, the players that are very good at getting those microtransactions of, of gold and just accumulating resources that are basically there for the taking um yeah new players they think it's all about kills who can just bash each other upside the head you know the most in that early game but the the really skilled players whether it's in commander or in league uh, they're really good at like managing those resources and getting those over time so that when it is time for that big fight they have all the resources they have that advantage because they've been building up to that I like that. So, Matt, what about you then? What was a lesson from League that you carry with you in Magic games? Um, so the big thing that I struggled with when I first got back into League um, is just know your role. Know what your job is in any given situation, any game, and, and kind of play from there. Um, some characters are very good at being that hyper carry, that champion that's going to be like 14 and 2 and they just took over the game late. And some others, like they're, they're more of a back role. They're, they, you know, are you the control player in the pod? So you're going to sit around, you're going to manage everything, you're going to prevent things from happening, but then you're going to take over eventually. Um, know what your role is. Like, and we've quoted a few times the, uh, the old, old article, the, the Know Your Role, uh, magic article and it applies to League of Legends it applies to commander know what your job is in any given game are you the control player are you the hyper aggressive player and then make sure that you're setting yourself up to do that and then also knowing what the role is of specific cards in your deck is mm. and, and, you know a card is this card a win condition or is this card a support card that you need um, to help protect the other important pieces of your board um, so knowing what the purpose of any given card is and what your purpose is in a situation is going to help you so much in both games. I, I really like that. That I feel like maybe the easiest parallel to draw when it comes to knowing the role of a card is that kind of debate about a counterspell, for instance. Is a counterspell is something that you use as a form of preemptive removal against something you know your opponents are going to try and do? Or is a counterspell something that you use to defend the thing that you are trying to do? And those are very different roles, even for a single card. But if you have a better idea of your deck's entire mission or how your deck plans to win, that can give you a better idea of what role that one card will play. And that is certainly the kind of thing that knowing which characters are better aimed for long-term or for support or for a defensive line in a game like League of Legends can also kind of like, yeah, knowing the roles of individual things and how that fits into the whole team strategy does seem to fit pretty darn cleanly. Well, and it very much kind of matches up with a thing we've talked about in the past, which is cards that are kind of vegetable cards, um, things <laughs> that you maybe don't like to have to buy, but they're good for building up your deck. Um, that's very much a thing in League of Legends that you have to learn to deal with as well. Like, you just have to buy wards. Wards aren't very fun, but like, you need to buy wards so you can see what's coming your direction. If, if you're playing support, you just need to buy, you know, maybe things that buff your healing up or things that buff your shielding up. None of those are flashy or explosive or let you make that big play, really. 
but they're things you have to do to be successful. And, and then that's, yeah, that's a good point, Matt. Like that is a really good lesson that very much carries over to Commander. So Dana, that poses the question, does that mean that Yasuo mains only play 28 lands in every single yes, deck? Yes, that is the exact, <laughs> exactly who they are. They only want haymakers. They don't want to eat yep. their veggies. They don't want to play any ramp spells. They just want <laughs> the eight mana spells. I don't, I don't know what this means, <laughs> but I can follow. Wait, you're saying that I can't just pack my deck full of eight drops? Like, no. I don't, I don't understand. What? You, you, you no, can't just only cast cast big spells and then expect everything else to fall into place. If reshape the earth is your only ramp card, um, you're probably <laughs> doing things a little wrong. Um, yeah, that the, the similar right. similar parallels right there. That that would be a Yasuo main. And if, if you're a Yasuo main, yeah. And if, if you've never played League, I'm sorry. I'm just as lost <laughs> as you with this. This is also out of my ballgame. So yeah, anyway, we, we've, we've all got commiserations, I think. Here, here's one that I would like to bring up about League of Legends is that League of Legends is a game where I have witnessed some of the biggest comeback swings I think ever. It's just like, there's no way that that team can win this. There's no way that that team can win this. There's no way that team can win this. They are down 10 kills. Absolutely. Holy dang. They somehow find a way in a last ditch effort in a team fight to actually come back and just win the game out of the blue. How did that happen? That is a thing that I have certainly um, experienced and seen with League of Legends. And that I kind of want to put into my lesson for Magic and Commander is like, don't give up. Don't be too quick to concede. And this is honestly a thing that I see sometimes in Commander that, like, you know, conceding a game is absolutely fine. But I have seen some players who walk into a game with a certain attitude of, if they don't have the answer, that means that there's no answer. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. no, you are working with a team and your team is also capable of some really awesome stuff. And in the case of a Commander game, you might not have the answer right now, but someone else might have the ability to help take down an arch enemy, and that's important too. So don't be too quick to resort to the way, 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 I might as well just guarantee second place situation if you think that all hope is lost in a commander game, because all hope might not be lost. Crazy things happen in this game, so don't be too quick to give up on it, because someone else might be sitting on an answer, and the reason you don't know that is because they don't want the arch enemy person to know that they have an answer, and they're trying to be a little bit sly about it. But there are definitely ways out of even the craziest of lockdown situations, and that is an important lesson, I think, for commander. Well, and Joey, you brought up a really good point. I, I don't think you meant to, but you said, uh, you know, one team can be up 10 kills. Well, that doesn't tell the whole story. That could be like Dana yeah. being at like eight life. Um, but if Dana <laughs> got down to like such a low life and it looks obvious, and that's one thing about Magic and League of Legends very directly, like the, the direct scoreboard you see in game doesn't tell the mm -hmm. whole story. Um, just because mm -hmm. somebody's down by 10 kills, some, some team is down by 10 kills, doesn't mean they don't have the overall gold advantage. Maybe they have all the towers down. Um, maybe Dana has you know been Sylvan librarying his entire library away like he always does. So he has all these resources in hand, even though it looks like you see his life total. Oh, well, Dana's only at eight. Everybody else is at 30. Um, there's no way Dana's going to win this. But then Dana always finds a way to win because he has all the resources. <laughs> um, League of Legends is a lot like that, too, where, you know, you, you might be down on the immediate scoreboard and your, your teammates are trying to forfeit the game. But you're like, well, actually, like we all have like huge item advantages. We have all the towers down. We're going to win. Those games happen all the time, whether it's those situations in League or those situations on twitch.tv slash EDHRECCast <laughs> where Dana just happens to be, you know, flinging Crush the Blood Braided um, because he spent a whole bunch of life putting plus one plus one counters onto Crush. Well, th that's kind of a good segue, actually, Matt, into what my next game here is, talking about information, and that would be poker, in particular, Texas Hold'em. Um, 
and, and the lesson I've taken from there is almost exactly what you said. The information you see might not be the full story. And not only might it not be the full story, it might be a lie. It might be information <laughs> that actively deceives you into thinking something else is happening. Um, the way Texas Hold'em works is there's a pool of cards face up in the middle of the table. If, if you're not someone who's seen Rounders, um, you should pause the show and go watch Rounders <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Dana, I just have a quick question to interject there. Do I have to pause recording right now and go watch it? Go, yes, you should. Yeah, but, okay, but, well, okay. Joey, for, first you have to find the VHS. <laughs> the VHS? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. You can't okay. stream Rounders. Yeah, I, that's the true The true experience would be on VHS, absolutely. Uh, so, so now that you've gone and watched Rounders. Yes, I've certainly done that in this in this time. <laughs> so, so there's a pool of face-up cards in the middle of the table that everyone has access to. Everyone's using simultaneously. And you have two cards face down. Um, so if you're looking at those cards and, for example, there's a three of spades and a three of diamonds and a four of spades and a five of spades and a six of clubs, what you're seeing there doesn't tell you what's going on. With a three, four, five, and six face up, if someone's holding a two or a seven, that's a really easy chance for them to have hit a straight, which is a pretty good hand. But everyone could have that because it's very easy to hit because there's four cards there. This is, I got it. Sorry, Dana. This part is definitely going over my head. Is it? Is this the point where rounders information would have helped me understand the, the metaphor? Maybe a little bit. It would help if you least knew poker, I guess. Okay. Um, but, but in this case, there's, there's also three spades showing face up there. So if someone has two spades in their cards and they've got a flush and that beats the, the straight, that's much easier to hit. Um, so just because you have that straight doesn't mean there isn't also a flush in someone's hand. And there's also two threes face up, which means if somebody else has, you know, two cards that match with the four, five, or six, they might have a full house or even four of a kind technically. What you see in the board does not tell the full story. And that is so, so true in Commander. What you're seeing in front of you and what you think is going to happen is not necessarily what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, it's very rarely what's going to happen, I think. Um, when you line up for that alpha strike and you think you have it, you have no idea if the person has a fog or an aether spouts or a sudden spoiling. The game can change so quickly based on the information that you don't know. And that is super important to remember and to try to plan around whenever possible. Um, one reason I, I've kind of stopped running propaganda kind of cards over the years, and, and I still have a few of those effects, but I used to really like them. I got burned so many times thinking I was okay from a propaganda in play. And then someone would just, before the end of the turn, disenchant. And then your entire house of cards collapses. Hey, house of cards, connecting the poker metaphor. I see what you did there. There we go. It's all it's all coming together. Um, during during the two-hour gap when we all watch rounders, I came up with that analogy. <laughs> Lord. Well, okay. So to, 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 to sort of piggyback off of this, I will certainly say that, like, yeah, the battlefield is often not what you think it's going to be because, the like, just like poker, magic is also a hidden information game. So I might have made a certain attack knowing that Matt might interpret that as my defense is being down and I've got that Aether Spouts hiding in hand to specifically try and bait that. Like, Magic is also a game where you can bluff. Poker is all about bluffing, uh, to my understanding, based off of the round, Rounders. It's a show. It's a <laughs> movie. It's based off of the Rounders. I know that Magic also is about bluffing. I'm trying real hard, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, all of my poker knowledge comes from the James Bond Casino Royale. So um, what I learned <laughs> that if you're Mads Mickelson, you can just buy back in whenever you want, right? Right. <laughs> um, same thing you, with Magic. Totally, yeah. <laughs> 
we're straining really hard to piggyback off of Dana's lesson here. The, the, I think point, that's a great I lesson, though, The point though, Dana, here is Mads Mikkelsen is the best part of every movie he's in. That That's true. <laughs> I think that's what Matt was getting at. Yeah, well, and, no. and then a relevant point, too, besides Mads Mikkelsen being amazing, um, <laughs> is that, yeah, you, you never know what people have in their hands. Like, they might be bluffing. They might be trying to maybe prod something out of your hand, even, um, or just trying to bully you out. Maybe they don't have anything, and they're just trying to, like, yeah. throw everything down and get you to kind of bow out or, or, or maybe do the dirty work for them. You never know what people have in their hands. So maybe kind of what Dana was hinting at is just as much as you're playing the board, you're also playing the players. There's kind of a sub game and it's kind of not directly happening, but it's also very directly happening at the same time. I mean, I, I guarantee at some point all three of us have been playing a blue deck and have had have intentionally left blue mana up to represent mm-hmm. a counter spot Absolutely. that we didn't have. And mm-hmm. then even went so far as when someone made a move to reach for the lands <laughs> and then not tap them and say, no, that's, that's fine. Go ahead. Like, we've all done that. Everyone's done that. But like, that's an important thing to do in the game. And I think people that have played poker definitely learned that lesson faster than other players. I, I think I for sure did. Well, and, and not even like, that's fair. It's, it's not even like pump faking that spell directly. But if you kind of say, well, hold on a minute and you kind of, oh, uh, well, maybe you kind of tank a little bit and you say, no, that's okay. Even if you don't have a counterspell in hand, that's putting it in the back of players' minds that like, oh, he's probably got a counterspell. So it's going to change how they play completely because they think you might have one, even if you don't have any counterspells in your deck at all. Well, and this coming from you, especially, you don't even play blue all that much. So when you right. do the thing where you're just like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold yeah, on. no, that, that that's okay. And I know you're you're playing Celestia in like three of your decks over there. I'm just like, what? Well, it's not a counterspell. What, what could it, could it be a counterspell? It's probably not. He doesn't have, what could it be? Like, that's even more of a mind trip, even when you're just bluffing. It's like, Manatite. I'm still playing counterspells. It's just Manatite. Uh, it's just Manatite. Oh. Okay. I, I, I cracked a, in Urza's Bobble recently. Um, in, in a game and looked at the top card of a player's library and it was a basic mountain. <laughs> I, I held it for 15 seconds like I was reading it. <laughs> and, and, and I went to put it back and stopped and looked at it again like I was That's reading funny. it to make sure I understood it. It's like, what, and then put what it does back that even do? But everyone spent it for several turns trying to figure out what the card was and like waiting <laughs> for the hammer to fall from the basic mountain. And and you just threw a whole bunch of attention onto that person just by doing that, which is that's really Yeah, clever. right, yeah. I really like that. And because and, and like that kind of thing is absolutely the kind of thing that just that's that's a very poker feeling move and it's something I got from having played a lot of poker particularly in college. Sweet deal. Sweet deal. I'm going to move on to a different game here. This is one that I've played a handful of times. It's also a multiplayer game, and it also has personalized decks, which is why I think it has a, a lot of parallels here to Commander. I don't think you guys will necessarily have played it, though. It's called Villainous. It is a Disney villain game. You play as people like Ursula or Jafar or Scar, a bunch of those different characters, and you have your own unique win conditions and stuff like that. Like It's really cool. You've got your own personal deck. Each villain wins in their own specific specific way. The thing that I think is really interesting about this game, though, is that it has a specific version of removal. You like move your character around on your board so that you can do things like taking your own actions, and you can use certain things. I think is called like the fate space, which disrupts some of your opponents. What I like about the game, and what I think is important to carry as a lesson from that game to Magic the Gathering as well, is that the number of times that you can use that fate effect to interact with your opponents and to kind of disrupt them is limited by the actual turns of the game. You can't keep doing it over and over and over again. And when I think about the amount of interaction you can do in that game compared to Magic, 
Like, yeah, you know, maybe you don't want to overload your deck with too much removal after all, because the game needs to be carried forward with your own momentum as well. It's kind of a neat trick of the design of that game that it does force the game to go forward, and you can't all gang up specifically on just using removal all of the time. And I think that that's an important lesson for commander players as well, that you shouldn't overload your deck with too many removal spells because you also need to be in charge of your own forward action. Um, my Jira with Eyes Open deck is a mono-white Super Friends deck. Um, so there's really no creatures in the deck at all, except for the commander, basically. And when the commander dies, that's a good thing, because I can recast him to go get more Planeswalkers. Um, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. deck will be better with you know half a dozen or eight or ten board wipes, probably, because it's going to hurt me you know, very little, and it will keep everyone else in check, um, while my Planeswalkers can keep doing their thing untouched. That's not going to be a very good time, though, I don't think, for anybody I'm playing against. If I'm just casting, you know, Day of Judgment, then Wrath of God, then Austere Command every single turn while I roll up Planeswalkers. Um, so while the deck might be better and might win more games, it's going to be a miserable thing to play against. So that's definitely a, a, a something that you could apply from that villainous game, Joey, to that particular deck where there are decisions you have to make sometimes just to ensure everyone gets to actually play Magic and have a good time. Well, and that might be kind of uh, something that's parallel to a lot of different games out there is like, yes, sometimes there's like an optimal build for any given character in any given game or a, mm. an optimal build for a commander. But sometimes like it's okay to make some subpar card decisions because it's something yeah. that you want to do. It's it's a fun form. Like it is a social format. Like we're all playing games for fun. So like, yes, in game xyz the warrior class might be like op right now and all that but like you still can play a mage you can still can play a cleric or whatever you want because like they're still games like it's still supposed to be fun so maybe not directly from your points joy but like games are supposed to be fun and so just play yeah. what you like like enjoy the game like and it's very easy for us to be saying like all oh, this less that made us a better player but like that doesn't mean we're not having fun at the same time Exactly. Yeah. Like I enjoyed the construction of the villainous game because it forces that the amount of removal that happens there, the amount of interaction cannot ever outweigh the amount of forward momentum from each player by design. Like you don't want games that stagnate. And we as commander players are more in charge of that than some of the games where that is built into the DNA of the rules of the game or just the construction of the board and the actions that you're allowed to take. So when we're in charge of that, I feel like it's kind of like a, a cool social thing that we get to be a, a part of and being like, yeah, let's be in charge of making the game end. Game's got to end and not just always reaching for the optimization. I mean, heck, when we, we were talking about Dana's first lesson about like sanding off those edges and finding all of those little tiny extra things and those small value points, Matt, the only thing I could think of was your Vivictus Ismati the Dire deck because that's like six drop tribal basically in that deck and it's all about the funnies. All, all about the feels. That is my Timmy to the Timmiest of Timmy decks. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. This is awesome stuff. I'm really, really enjoying this. But there's something else that I, I, I think, guys, we've maybe put it off for far too long. We've been talking about some other games, but let's let's definitely bring it back to directly EDHREC for at least one segment. Let's challenge some stats because there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. So we like to talk about cards that we think are either under or overplayed. So we're going to challenge those stats now. Well, you, you mentioned there's so much data and so many options for cards. You know what else has so many? 
options. The sponsor <laughs> for Challenge of Stats, altersleeves.com. Uh. Um, you can head over to altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast for all your alter sleeves needs. It's so great. You can do all sorts of just different arts if you want to play around and get some alters done on your cards, but you don't want people marking up your actual cards. You can just get a perfect fit sleeve, protects the card, but also adds some pretty cool swag, bling, um, whatever you, whatever the, the, the kids are calling it these days. Just such a great idea. All right. Dana, do you want to tell us what the thing is? How about you get us started with Challenge the Stats this week? What is your challenge? My challenge comes from way back in Odyssey. It is a, a utility land named Petrified Field. And it, it has kind of had a reprint in the list recently, but that doesn't get that many copies out there. So it's a relatively obscure card, and it's only in about 2,400 decks in EDH Rec. And here's what it does. It taps for a colorless mana, and it does not come into play tapped. Um, and you can tap it to sacrifice it and return target land card from your graveyard to your hand. So there's some kind of synergies here if you maybe you are playing some kind of a landfall deck and you want to get back that fetch land to get double triggers off it or something. But I think where this probably should see more play is in decks that have um, those utility lands that absolutely can take over the game if left untouched. Uh, mono black decks, for example, oftentimes are trying to run Cabal Coffers and Cabal Stronghold and things like Nick those Shrine to Nyx because they're in one color. Um, a lot of times those find themselves in a position to tap for six or eight or 10 or 12 mana and everyone wants them gone. Um, you're also in mono black, so there's not a ton of ways to recur lands from your graveyard. Petrified Field is one of them. You can just have that there, tapping for a colorless mana, which doesn't really hurt you at all for the most part. And when you need it, when you need to get that Cabal Coffers back after somebody blows a strip mine on it, you've got that Petrified Field there to recur it. Uh, it's not the kind of card I would run just in any deck that has maybe one of those cards. But if you are in a deck running multiples, if you're maybe playing an Enchantress deck and you have a Sarah Sanctum in there and you have a Nykthos and you have a Hall of Helix Generosity, all things that can really be super impactful, I think it's pretty useful to have Petrified Field sitting there as a backup plan to recur those backbreaking lands. Nice. That is a clever one for sure. I've used that one myself and I can confirm it's pretty nice to be able to get your Cabal Coffers back. It's a it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Yeah, you don't 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 get Cabal Coffers back. Just <laughs> let let it rest in peace. It's in the graveyard. Just excuse me, rest in peace. We will not talk about such horrible graveyard exiling on there this show. Is. No, no. I just, I just wanted to have it a, a, a nice send off. You know, let it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. After we, after we got the center square off Knight's Whisper, we managed to get Joey talking about graveyard. So we're, <laughs> that, there it we're is. Close to a bingo now. Close, close to a bingo. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I'm going to move on to my challenge here. And Dana, I'm actually going to talk about a commander of yours. I'm going to oh, talk nice. quickly about Jury Master of the Review. And you also have a Jury deck. Jury being the two-mana Rakdos commander, the uncommon from Commander Legends, that says whenever you sacrifice a permanent, it gets a plus one counter. And when Jury dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. And Dana, we've seen you do some absolutely gross things by sacrificing 50 
50,000 treasures and then sacrificing jury and just clocking someone for 50,000 damage. And it's real good. And it is the kind of thing that Rest in Peace would stop, which is why Rest in Peace is bad. And so I'm glad that you also dislike the Rest in Peace. Um, but yeah, it's a fun deck for you, I've certainly noticed. Uh, I agree. I really enjoy it. Right. And it also seems to be a fun deck for one of our listeners. I've got our listener challenge submission this week. This comes from listener Stephen Christopher, who noticed when they were building a budget jury, the master of the review deck, that jury is technically a shaman. So if you were to use the card Harmonic Prodigy, which doubles up the triggered abilities of your shamans, when jury dies, you'd be able to get two jury triggers to clock someone for 50,000 damage. And that sounds like some pretty spicy text. Stephen specifically says that they were gobsmacked when that interaction came up. Uh, they point out it only shows up in 30 jury decks so far, but this could be a pretty interesting thing to look into if you are also building a Rakdos deck that wants to just clock people for a bazillion damage while jury's on the way out. Yeah, it's an excellent card. The only reason I'm not running it is because I had set a restriction on myself to only run creatures that interacted with treasures, by like, like made treasures or something. Mm. Um, otherwise, I'd be running it for sure. That card definitely, if like if you weren't being stubborn like I am, it would be a fantastic <laughs> addition to any jury deck for sure. Yeah, I, I think the jury's not out on that one. They're not deliberating. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty good card. Oh, okay. There's. I'm, there I, I can only check off the dad joke bingo square on the EDH cast thing so many I, times. Matt. I think. I think f there's there's dad jokes and there's like forcing terrible wordplay <laughs> square. Um, and I think somebody out there has their bingo. I think you're probably right. All right, Matt, take us to your challenge to round us out for the week. What is yours? So my challenge this week, actually, um, I. I know I keep shouting him out, but Jevin Lordy has a great article series over at EDH Rec um, where he's challenging stats just every single week. He's digging into all sorts of different commanders. He does a great job, and one that I really think stands out both for the specific commander, but also just in general. I think this card is, is kind of slept under the radar a little bit, um, is Inspiring Statuary. Um, so Jevin talks about how this card is, is very good in Prosper Tomebound, and everybody was up in arms about how great Prosper is. Um, it's that new Rakdos commander um, where you're, whenever you cast a spell from exile, you get to create a treasure token. Um, it's creating a lot of treasures, and a lot of decks these days are doing that, and Inspiring, inspiring Statuary just keeps getting better and better. Um, so the Statuary is three mana for an artifact that says non-artifact spells you have um, you cast, excuse me, um, have Improvise. And Improvise is a mechanic from Kaladesh block um, that says your artifacts can help cast those spells where each artifact you tap after you're done activating mana abilities pays for one mana. Um, so basically it's Convoke only for artifacts. Um, so it's not really relevant in a lot of decks, but if you're making a bunch of treasures as Wizards of the Coast seems to want everybody to be doing these days, <laughs> Inspiring Statuary just keeps getting better and better whenever there are treasures around. Now, granted, you can't sacrifice them because you do have to tap them as part of a treasure's activated ability, or mana ability, I should say. But if you are just making lands every single turn with Inspiring Statuary, like that's, that's such a powerful, powerful ability because they're helping you cast all your spells, not just one time, but multiple times over the course of the game. Um, if you're making a bunch of treasure tokens, or like if you're playing that one card, uh, what is it? A, a Academy Manufacturer, there it is. Oh um, yeah. That makes oh, a yeah. ton of, like you cast one spell to create a treasure token. Um, you're getting three mana basically. <laughs> so three lands almost like that. That's such a crazy, crazy interaction. Um, so yeah, Inspiring Statuary in general is just great. Um, people should be playing a lot more, but specifically in Prosper Tomebound, it's only in 19% of decks. And if your commander makes treasure tokens like Prosper does, you definitely want to be giving this a look. 
Matt, that is um, some spicy, spicy tech. And uh, I, I'm actually noting here that I forgot to um, check off a spot on my bingo card because it occurred to me that not only did you have spicy tech for your challenge, but also that Dana mentioned a card that was printed before the year 2000 for his challenge. <laughs> oh, there um, it is. Yep. So I just, I, I'm really close to the bingo here too, and I'm, I'm really excited. Um, so while I am paying attention to whether or not we actually get the, the, the full blackout on the Idiotrek <laughs> bingo card, let's get back to our main topic. Let's talk once again, we are on the lessons that we've learned from other card games, other board games, other video games, and the things that made us better magic players, even when we weren't necessarily playing magic or commander. Dana, let's pass it back to you. What is another game that you feel has improved the way that you play commander? So World of Warcraft. The main lesson that this has taught me um, that applies to Commander is um, how much of your life a game can absolutely suck up in terms of time. <laughs> um, no, that's not it. But that's I guess maybe that is a little bit applicable. That's, um, that's nope, right here. Yep. So, so the main thing was is just because something was designed by the game designers with an idea in mind, doesn't mean that's what you have to use it for. The example from World of Warcraft that, that happened, and this was particularly early on in the game's development, um, one of the ways spells worked was you'd have a spell that had a certain rank and did so much damage, and then at some point when you'd hit a higher level, you'd get a rank 2 of that spell or a rank 3 of that spell that did more damage and probably cost more mana as well. Um, so you would just then you know replace the rank 4 with rank 5 or whatever it was, um, Except you didn't necessarily have to do that, and there were reasons not to that people eventually discovered. Um, Frostbolt was a spell that you could cast as a mage that dealt damage, and it slowed the target down that you hit with it for you know a certain amount of time. Well, if you kept rank 1 Frostbolt available when you're level 60, even though it's a level 1 spell, it used almost no resources to cast, but the slow still worked. So you could use rank 1 Frostbolt to slow things down, while not actually having to expend really any resources. It became a very useful spell to start out fights with to slow down the attacking creature without actually having to like expend much of your mana to do it. That's not what the intent was, and they eventually changed it so it didn't work that way. That didn't mean it wasn't a really useful tool. Um, that's very much true in Commander as well. Um, Oblation wasn't a card designed to allow me to draw two cards in a Boros deck, but that's what I use it for most of the time on my Boros Tokens deck is drawing two cards. Um, it was intended to be a removal spell, but that's like very rarely how I use it. <laughs> that's something that, that in Commander is very much a lesson I took from WoW was like looking at, at cards and think, okay, what can I do with this? Not what do they want me to do with this? That is fascinating. I almost kept up with nearly everything you said there when you were talking about <laughs> that game I haven't played. Um, so I'm Pretty proud of myself, not going to lie. Um, but no, I actually, I really love that lesson. I think the closest analogy for me is probably going to be like those discard style spells. There are plenty of uh, discard effects uh, throughout the game that are, you know, you draw a couple of cards and then you have to discard some cards. And most of the time when you see that, especially as a new player, you interpret that as a downside. Like, oh no, I lose the cards that are discard. But I love to put things into the graveyard to reanimate them for much cheaper. So for me, it is, if anything, that's an upside. That sounds great. Sacrificing cards, sacrificing your own stuff is a boon a whole lot of the time because you might be able to use the sacrifice to get around exile effects or to get around someone trying to take control of your stuff. And those are just cool extra secret things that you can find with that type of attitude of not what am I supposed to necessarily do with it or anything like that. It gets you out of that traditional mindset of seeing something that might be a downside and turning it into an upside. There's, there's one more small one here and I'm not sure if it's 
a lesson so much as it is a habit. Um, when I, for the vast majority of the time I played World of Warcraft, I played a Warlock class. And one of the things Warlocks did mechanically as part of their class was an ability called Life Tap, where you could hurt yourself, trade X amount of life to get mana back. Um, and then a lot of Warlock spells gained you life too. So like you would Life Tap, you know, to full mana and knock yourself down to like half life and hope you would survive long enough to heal back up to then, you know, do it again. I'm not sure if that's a lesson so much, but I mean, that's very much how I play EDH where I'm like, I'm going to trade that life to draw cards. Well, it'll probably work out in the end. So I I think that's definitely, I mean, maybe there's a lesson there in that you can like, you you can trade resources. It's it's useful to expend resources to get other more useful resources. But uh, having like thought about this for this show, I've come to realize, I wonder if that's where I got that habit from. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but also, Dana, I do have to make a minor correction there. Life Tap isn't a Warlock spell. Life Tap is a, a two-blue enchantment. Oh, um, fair, like that's fair. Fourth edition, <laughs> um, whenever any forest target opponent controls becomes tapped, you gain a life. Um, so you're completely wrong uh, about that. Life Tap is a completely different thing. And actually, Joy, I thought you were going to say the the old wild joke was, which wasn't that it traded um, a Warlock's life for mana. It was that you traded your healer's mana to get more mana of your own. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. See, I, I think WoW is great just for like self-exploration because um, to nobody's surprise, I played Rhett Paladins. Um, so I just went smash all over everything <laughs> and uh, that, that carried over to WoW. So yeah, it, or carried over to Magic, I should say. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And smash. No. It, it is interesting to see how often our, uh, our our predilections in one game maybe line up with the same type of attitude in another game, because there might be some games where we're like, yeah, I really like playing the Sorcerer in this card game over here, but in Magic, I really like playing the Necromancer and this type of thing. But uh, Matt Go Smash is a... Uh, oh, bingo! That is a, that is applicable to every... Oh, dang it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm The square I'm waiting on is Dana to terribly mispronounce some name. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the one I'm waiting on. So Someone talk about Oubliette real quick. We, we obli- can, obliute. We, we can just <laughs> like, transition into talking about Settlers of Caton. Settlers of Caton. Oh, no. What lessons do we have to learn from Settlers of Catan? Oh, man. I think we broke Matt. There's another bingo. Oh, oh that, that was too well done. Um, thank you. Um Thank you, Dana. But yeah, Settlers of Catan or Catan, as some would some would call it. Um, I feel like this is like almost like a rite of passage for a lot of board game players. Um, if you go into any game shop, like there's there's always a display version of Settlers. It's probably like the most commonly played amongst like not even like real gamery people. Just like it's just a very fun, accessible game. But there are definitely lessons that I think you can glean from settlers. Um, and the first one, if you've ever played with my friend group, is always be suspicious of what people have in their hands. Um, <laughs> you never know what cards they have. And we've kind of hinted towards this a little bit, but whew, that, that's that's a big one. Is like if they're bluffing, they well, they, they might be bluffing. Or or are they? I don't know. Or are they? Just always be suspicious. Don't don't trust anybody. Um, and which kind of brings me to another point of when somebody makes a deal with you, when somebody gets political in, in magic mm. or in settlers, always just assume that like they're trying to get the upper hand. Um, so kind of ask yourself is like, is this short term deal? Like, is this, this is a spike that I'm going to get right now? Is this going to set somebody up for the long term? Um, so always assume that if somebody's like willing to make a deal with you, 
they think they're getting the better of that trade. Uh, that's just something that I've seen so, so many times, whether you're playing Settlers, whether you're playing Magic, you know, people are getting political, like, hey, don't attack me this turn. Or maybe if you do this instead, like there are always deals going down. And so always assume somebody else is trying to get the upper hand through that deal. One of my favorite moments playing Magic was as a group in the, you know, in the before times, certainly, <laughs> um, as this big group where a whole bunch of folks could identify, I think it was my younger brother was playing with us. It's just like, oh, what's going on over there? Definitely the threat, biggest threat right there. And then one of the members in the group just turned to everyone who was saying, oh, that's definitely the biggest threat over there. And she was like, yeah, to you, to you guys, that's the biggest threat. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily to me, is that the biggest threat? And it was just like, oh, yeah, you know what? You don't know what's going on in that person's hand at all. And um, sometimes the person who has all of the stuff on the battlefield might look the most threatening, but some people have all of their stuff going on in their hand and they are more threatening. You just don't happen to be able to see it because their plan isn't self-evidentiary. So Matt, I feel like that definitely ties in with those kind of moments where it's just like, what's going on in the hand? Sometimes you just have absolutely no idea. And that is a thing that you should definitely be wary of. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's probably a lesson that translates from more than a few games. But Settlers is definitely the one of the first ones that drops out, that, that pops out to me here too, is it's particularly because it's kind of that intro to more complicated games. That's the, the game you kind of play when you move from Monopoly or Scrabble into those more advanced games. That's very much kind of the gateway game. And I think that's the, where the switch gets flipped for people to really learn strategy in Catan. And that's one of the first lessons. And I, I think one that I, I just thought of too is always like be mindful of like the quiet person in the game. Um, sometimes somebody can be sitting there and then they're, they're not really doing a whole lot. Maybe they're being real quiet. My best friend's wife is the guiltiest person I've ever met of this. She will sit there and do nothing for an entire game of Catan. And then all of a sudden, like the last turn comes up because she's making it the last turn because she's exploding for the win. Um, yep. I, it's so annoying. It's so frustrating, but like it happens all the time. So like just because Dana's sitting over there, you know, quietly like drawing cards with a Sphinx deck, like, oh, I'm playing Sphinxes. Don't worry. Oh, no. <laughs> But then suddenly, like, he just explodes and you can't do anything about it. Always be mindful. Like, know when somebody's being suspiciously quiet versus, oh, they're just, they just don't talk a lot. Yeah, that is a, a thing to certainly be mindful of. And Matt, I, I, uh, I'll just try and be more vocal in our game so that you don't suspect me. What do you think? Uh, that, that seems very sus as well. Very Okay, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to move from Settlers of, we decided it wasn't Catan, it was Caton. Yeah, I believe so, Caton. yes, technically, yeah. All right. Uh, in that case, let's move on to, I, I can't even make a joke out of this. Let's talk about drafting games. Let's talk about the game Seven Wonders, which I'm not sure if you guys have played before, but if you haven't, I do definitely recommend it. It's a whole lot of fun. And it is a drafting game. You just have a bunch of cards that go around, pick one, pass one, pick one, pass one, and it switches directions, and you build up your really cool city. It's a really fun game, but there's an element to that game where realistically, you're kind of not playing against the entire table. You're actually just playing against the people next to you rather than competing with the entire board. And this one, I think, is especially useful to kind of remind myself that I don't always need to be the number one winner of all time. I need to play my best game. I need to focus on what I am doing at the table because it's certainly possible in a game as big and crazy as EDH that... I can do all of the right stuff and someone else just happened to do a little bit better, but that didn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with what necessarily I was up to and that I should focus on playing my best game and having my own fun there rather than I need to conquer the entire table. That's not the goal of that game and it doesn't need to be the goal of any game. Sometimes you're really there for the ride and interacting a little bit more personally is a fun lesson that I've learned from playing Seven Wonders. 
So is, is it kind of like in a horror movie where you don't have to be the fastest, you just have to not be the slowest? <laughs> <laughs> Um, weirdly, that analogy is kind of apt, okay. I guess. <laughs> like, it's not wrong. It's not necessarily what I would focus on, but you aren't technically wrong, okay. I suppose. But like, no, I feel like it's more wholesome than that. Come on. Sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, especially because like it is certainly the case that you can play a perfect game and someone across the table from you still might end up winning instead. But you did everything right. And so that's also a lesson of not focusing too much on the result of what happened, because whether you win or lose isn't always connected to whether you played optimally and did your best game. You played your best self, basically. And that, I think, is also a good lesson to keep in mind, both to focus on the fun that you don't always have to win to have the fun. It can be a more personal experience. And also to not focus too much on what the result is, because sometimes the result doesn't necessarily reflect how well you truly performed well so so a lesson kind of parallel to what dana said um where you just have to be not the not the slowest person um <laughs> I, so i love survival horror video games uh, like the resident okay. evil series absolutely fantastic where um you could be the slowest and still do well um but there are some things that, like i think apply very well to, to magic and especially commander um one of the big things is like I would say like don't use all of your ammo right away like play the long game um sure your your grenade launchers your rocket launchers anything like that like the big splashy weapons those are super fun to like blow up like the everyman zombies but sometimes that's not really like the best use of your resources um you know you, there's gonna be boss battles down the road there's gonna be these big creatures these big threats that you have to take advantage of so if you waste all of your ammo your your one-on-one -on -one removal your your swords to plowshares for example on those creatures that don't really matter eventually there's gonna be a, a big bad that you have to get rid of and you're not gonna have any ammo left for them mm. um, so just knowing when to budget your your weaponry uh, you have a very limited amount in a commander game so managing that is is very very important so save it for like the boss fights quote unquote instead of blowing up you know if you cast a wrath of god for example you blow up the board state you have a board wipe but the token player doesn't really have anything going on you might be wasting like maybe save it a little bit wait until it's a better moment and a better use of your ammo until it's actually gonna make a, a really big effect versus I'm gonna blow up all of the Lanor elves. Ta-da. <laughs> I love that. That's a great example. I mean, a, a bit exaggerated with the Lanor elves. So for, for for the record, that, yes. sometimes I will bolt that bird. I, I, I will throw that out there. Sometimes you do bolt the bird in magic. That is a lesson that we've also learned not from other games, but from magic indeed. True. But no, I, I love that lesson. Like what appears to be the threat right now is not necessarily the threat long term. Yeah. Can, can you take care of any given threat with the mo with the least amount of resources that it requires to be invested into it? That's a really good way, I think, to kind of sum it up. That's a problem for next turn, Matt. This turn, Matt, is going to deal with this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. That that also has bitten me in the butt a couple times. Dang. Oh, man. All right, Dana, do you want to round it out for us? What is a game, uh, our final game that we'll talk about, I think, um, that has given you some lessons to carry into Commander games or Magic the Gathering in general? Um, so I, I went through a, a, a weird summer when I was young where a, a couple friends of mine and I all got really into the board game Risk for some reason. Um, for like a month and a half window. And I think it was because it popped up on an episode of Seinfeld. Uh, okay. And so we just 
we also, you know, drank Snapple and got Pez dispensers as a result of that show once upon a time. So I think I think that's what the that's what the inspiration was. Um, uh, I got another bingo. I just want to throw that out there. talking okay, about keep, something continue. that's old, <laughs> early '90s references. There it is. So, so in Risk, one of the first things that became apparent was, um, again, resource um, accumulating resources is very, very important. But like, if you hold a continent, you gain resources, extra resources every turn. And Australia was an easy continent to hold because there was really on the map only one access point to Australia. So if you could, if you could hold that choke point, it became very easy to hold Australia and then just gain free resources from Australia every single turn. Once I realized that, then you realized, oh, there's other choke points in the map that if I control this, it becomes very easy to control this continent and get those resources. And then the next thing you realize from that onward is, well, it doesn't matter what what tools I have access to if they're all like behind the lines, if if my tools are buried deep in Asia and the battle is happening on the border between Asia and Africa, that doesn't do me any good. What is important in that game is that you get your armies out to the edges where the skirmishes are occurring. And that, I think, is a lesson I very much remember when I play Commander. It doesn't matter what tools you have it matters what tools you have access to. Um, hmm. You can have all. You can have the the win target game card in your <laughs> library, but if you can't get to it, it doesn't do you any good. So being able to access those tools, whether it's by drawing a lot of cards or filtering down or reanimating stuff or whatever it is, being hey. able to get to things is much more important than just be like, well, I'm going to be fine because I have these things. You need to take the next step and come up with a plan and have a way to get to those things. And I think that's something I'm very conscious of in Commander is it's not just about having things be available, it's having them be available so you can use them readily. That that right there, especially you mentioning Reanimator. I mean, obviously you mentioned Reanimator. Take off another bingo box. I understand Joey likes Reanimator <laughs> a lot. But no, like the biggest hurdle in that deck is the access, is mm-hmm. the ability to put stuff into the yard so that I can cheat it back out into play. And when it all goes off, when I'm able to assemble it and get stuff into play for free, I mean, heck, it looks like I'm cheating things into play when I've got my Marin of Clan Altoth summoning eight drops right back. Like that looks absolutely awesome. And there's a way that it can kind of look effortless, but it's a lot to actually get things into the been in the first place to actually discard cards for the sake of reviving them with an animate dead like that can actually be a bit of a process and knowing those steps that are required and how much especially risk is involved with them knowing where those hurdles are actually located yeah that's really darn important to even understand the tempo or the cadence of the deck that you're trying to play especially in the case of the reanimator that i love to play so much oh definitely like i can't count the amount of times i've played any game of Magic, or, or really any of these games, and somebody's like, oh, well, just wait till I get this card. Like, well, you, you didn't get that card. So, I, yeah, like, sorry about you. Um, well, and specifically, like, you might, Matt, you're the type of player to stop them from ever getting that card. Yeah, and, absolutely. And playing around that, yeah. Yeah, or, or, or people are like, you know, the game's over, and they're like, okay, up. Uh, 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 oh, oh, if you, I just would have had three more turns, like, but well, you didn't, like, you didn't have the answer <laughs> in your hand, and so, so playing the what if game, like, like in Risk, like, oh, I yes, you you could have won, but like you had all your resources in the wrong place, so you weren't able to. So like, okay, like we're we're playing the what if game, and like that just it doesn't help 
It, it, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help become a better player. Um, so focusing on like what you could have controlled instead of what was out of your control, um, that's always something very good to take away too. And especially if you are playing against someone like Matt, where like they're kind of making you play that what if game because the way that they played made sure that you would never have the opportunity to dig down to mm -hmm. find those things. Matt Absolutely. will certainly, he will suit up that battlefield so much that if I take time to cast a, a big mill myself spell, he's going to punish me for it. So that is also a, you know, a really important oh. thing to keep in mind of like how what you need is affecting the way your opponents play to prevent you from getting what you need. Well, and speaking of punishing Joey, I'm going to sneak another game in here. Uh, it's oh. not going into the show notes. <laughs> curveball okay. for joey um but one last game that i want to mention at least is, is king of tokyo it is probably my favorite board oh. game of all time it is absolutely a blast it's it's like the most the most like beginner friendly like if you've never played a board game in your life you can still play king of tokyo um and the, the point of tokyo is either like to destroy all the other like big godzilla monsters that everybody else is or to like become so famous and like take over tokyo you become the king as the name suggests and so <laughs> one of the big strategies is like you move into tokyo and you become kind of the, the big bad where everybody starts to gang up on you and know when you can handle becoming the arch enemy in a game of magic uh, versus when you need to kind of take a back seat, when you need the pressure to come off of you a little bit and be a little less suspicious and, and people kind of focus other places for a little bit. Um, sometimes, you know, in a game, you can be the, the big bad right from the gate because you can just brute force everything. Kind of like in King of Tokyo, sometimes you get just the right abilities for your monster where you can withstand a lot of damage or a lot of pressure from other players. Other times you need to know when to kind of step back a little bit, let other people, you know, get beat up a little bit, and then you can sneak <laughs> in for the for the victory later on. Um, so knowing when you can handle pressure from other players and when you need to step back a little bit, that's so, so key, especially when you're playing on twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast where <laughs> everybody's a little suspicious. So if you start taking over, um, maybe you need to lay low a couple turns and, and, and you know, spin your wheels a bit. Uh Oh, Matt, I'd love the surprise. First of all, like I am here for King of Tokyo's Battle Yahtzee. It's such a fun game. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely so good. And it literally has direct parallels. The lesson you just listed there. I'm thinking immediately of the flavor text on the card Marchesa's Decree, which introduces the monarch into the game. Mm -hmm. Like what better parallel for King of Tokyo wing being the, the top spot to get extra benefits than the monarch token where we draw a bunch of attention to ourselves and it makes people want to attack us. The flavor text on Marchesa's Decree specifically is a quote from Queen Marchesa saying, those who seize power must have the means to hold it and that's absolutely exactly, that's yeah. such a good lesson for multiplayer games i love that matt yeah i mean just having multiple threats around and, and just can i can i take these three other people can i take these x amount of other players at the table can they beat up on me and i still win or do i need to like not let them beat up on me that's yeah so so important Awesome. This, this guys, this was a really fun topic. I'm so glad that we got there. By the way, Dana, I want you to know that you actually, um, you can tick off a spot on your bingo card there because Matt plugged the, uh, the Patreon and the Twitch at least five times throughout the episode. So you can uh, fill out another there spot on your EDH Redcast bingo card. And I think that might get you the blackout. I, it's close. I think I'm one short. We've seen a Selesnia joke here. <laughs> Matt, can we get it right before we I, leave? I'm deliberately going to not because I don't <laughs> want Dana to get it. I only got four corners today. I didn't, I didn't get my, uh, my, my whole bingo. Wow. No matter what the game is, it turns out that Matt will somehow find a way to do the betrayal. How if if I can't win, then nobody else can. I'm going to take my ball and go <laughs> home. 
<laughs> no. Oh, man. <laughs> Listeners, we would really love to hear from you, first of all, about how many of the spots on your bingo card that you were able to check off this episode. And we would also like to hear from you about the other games that you play. What other board games, video games, card games do you play that you feel have made you better at magic? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Share them with us. It's going to be really cool. I really like this topic, guys. Again, this was so much fun. But let's call it to a close for now. If our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters um, at the Celestia Master. Dang it, I said it. Uh, sorry, there you go, Dana. Got it. Got, got, your, your, got, got it in. Um, but really, on Twitter, at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming, twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. Uh, we have guests on every single week, and it is always such a fun time. So make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings over at twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. I am writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Reccast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHRecCast your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.